Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Let us pray. Father in heaven, may your truth go forth from here. May it abound and reside in us and may it be a guard on a seal on our hearts, Lord, that we might discern rightly and act accordingly and live in accordance to what is true and what is right. We ask this, O Lord, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Let me first bring your attention to the bulletin. Um, for those who are visiting us, maybe, there's actually in the middle portion there a sermon outline with a fill-in-the-blanks in case you feel rather sleepy after your Chinese New Year festivities. Uh, but aside from that, also at the front portion, there is this word there that begins, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. This is one of the translations that's taken from uh, 3 John chapter 1, verse 1. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in truth. Uh, verse 2, sorry. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Another version of that translation would actually, so, would actually say, Dear friend, I pray that you may prosper. This is a very Chinese New Year greeting, actually. That you may have good health, that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. I've chosen to touch on 3 John chapter 1, but I'm only using it as a launching point uh, to basically explain uh, the first letter, the second letter, and the third letter of John. And so I'm actually touching on three letters. Uh, they are what you might call the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters of John that is given to uh, people, uh, particularly in the Ephesian church. The Ephesian churches were a little bit like house churches. Now, if you'd actually been paying attention during the reading of 3 John, uh, Gaius is this person who is, in a way, commended uh, for doing a good thing. He's essentially uh, dealing, uh, or, or rather providing hospitality to a, to a fellow believer who has come traveling as a traveling preacher. If you have been following our Bible reading series, you would have noticed that the second letter of John and the third letter of John are very similar to each other, except there is a, one is addressed to a church. So in the second John, it is addressed to a church. In the third John, it is addressed to a person within the church. Now, Good if you have your Bibles open with you. Uh, if you can just flip from 2 John to 3 John, that will help very much. Both of them begin with this reference, the elder. And when you write a letter, a formal letter in the uh, uh, Greek times, you basically say who you are. Very much like Karangan Bahasa Malaysia nowadays. You write a letter, there's a format, you know, Kepada Who, Saya, Who Am I, and all that stuff. So both letters identify the source as the elder, said to be John, but at times we're not too sure whether this is John the Apostle or John the Elder. But either way, uh, one says, to the lady chosen by God, and this lady is not a woman, but this lady is the church. To the lady chosen by God and to her children, this is uh, 2 John verse 1 and 2, 
whom I love in the truth, and not, only, not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. This is 2 John verse 1 and 2. Let me read 3 John verse 1 and 2. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me, verse 3, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth and telling how you continue to walk in it. Truth. You should be, by now, realizing that uh, 2 John and 3 John both talk a lot about the truth. But what is the truth uh, that John is referring to? We know that in 2 John and 3 John, when he says about this truth, what he's saying is those who do not speak the truth don't welcome them to the church. Whereas those who speak the truth welcome them to the church. Essentially, that's the, the bare-bones message of 2 John and 3 John. Now, why is truth, is, why is truth important? Uh, what is that difficulty that we have with truth? If I were to sum up this uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, one of the things that John is dealing with is that he's dealing with uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. There's a group of people within the church who were initially with the church but had left the church. And they were teaching certain heresies, certain things that were definitively wrong. Now, how do we know what is right or wrong, or what is true or not true. Uh, rumor has it that the, uh, the Treasury Department of the uh, US, when they want to teach their officials how to deal and identify with a forgery, uh, what do you think they do? Well, I'm told reliably, this is during the time when I was working with the banks, in the central banks, that the Central Bank of America, in order to teach all their officers how to identify a forged note, they would take a dollar note or any denominational note and basically crumple it, write on it, tear it, fold it, do whatever it is, but it will always be an original note. They would take the truth, the true note, and they would put it through any different kinds of permutation and show them to these officers and say, identify, is this a true note or not a true note? It's very different sometimes when we teach people the other way. We try and show them all the different wrong things, all the different forgeries, all the wrong things, and say, okay, when you see this, this is wrong. No, the true way to actually teach someone what is true is to tell them what is the truth <laughs> and to be very clear about all the truth. Some of our friends who went for Youthquake recently went for uh, one of the workshops which was on cults and religions. Uh, how do you identify a cult and what is it about a cult that makes people end up going into a cult? Well, one of the things that he says is a cult occurs when people are not clear about the truth or what they are being taught. Now, it's critically important, and you might be asking, so, okay, uh, truth is important, why should it be for me, and what is my role in this? 
Uh, let me give you uh, several warnings. One, Jesus himself, uh, let me read this out to you. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20 says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And one of the things that Jesus is pointing out here is truth is determined by the fruit that it bears. Truth is not just an inward thing. It is something that is seen in the evidence of the fruit that they bear. So if you want to know a false prophet, if you want to know a boss who's not true, or if you want to know a, a, a member of the relative who is not true, you consistently see what kind of fruit they bear, consistently bear, okay? Not one-off, but consistently bear. Paul in Acts says, uh, Acts uh, chapter 16, verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth, flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Or later on, at the end of the book of Acts, he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, uh, let me concisely put this to you. That one of the things that Jesus and his apostles warned about is not about the enemy outside, but the enemy within. These wolves in shepherd's clothing. So internally, within our own environment, we have people who are distorting the truth. And in order for you to be able to discern whether a person is distorting the truth, so therefore, you must know the truth. And John sets about talking in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, what is that truth? And what do you deal, how do you deal with a person who comes who distorts the truth? Now, John also uh, puts this across in, his, in all his letters consistently, and I'm taking one John, uh, 3 John as a template. He writes to Gaius, whom I love in the truth. His idea of truth is not some abstract concept. His idea of truth is fellowship with Jesus, who is, in an earlier chapter in John, the way, the truth, and the life. So when he says, to Gaius whom I love in the truth, he's really saying, to Gaius whom I love in Christ. He's commended for his faithfulness to the truth. He's also uh, commended for how he continues walking in the truth. 
As I mentioned in the past week, it is not just about knowing truth, but it is also walking in the direction and living it out, living in the truth. And might I add here that Gaius' way of actually demonstrating the truth is hospitality. How he demonstrates hospitality and welcoming others into his home, others who practice the truth. So, we come to this important question. What is John's message of truth? How do we identify it? Uh, very simply, is these three statements. God is light, God is love, and in between that, God is truth. If you've been reading uh, the, uh, the letters of John, from John, uh, 1 John all the way to 3 John, you will see this recurring iterative theme. In fact, if you were to actually look at 1, 2, and 3 John, it is actually poetry uh, that repeats itself, that has an expanding theme of light, love, and truth. Now, how do we know that this is John's message of truth? Because when you turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it begins... This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So both 1 John 1.5 and 1 John 3.11 is uh, prefixed or begun with this message. This is the message that we are proclaiming to you. This message comes from Jesus and what he gave to us, we give to you. Let me read 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him. We declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Notice, every time that uh, John says, God is light, those who live in the light live in truth. To live in light and truth. So this theme keeps repeating itself. Light, truth, love, truth. And so he uses this term truth as a means by which to discern what is right and true in how we live light. Let me read the one about love. Uh, 1 John uh, 3, verse 11. For this is the message, again, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Now, he goes on, right? And all the way at 1 John 3, verse 18, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Okay. So you see this uh, linkage that John brings in. His light, his love, his truth. Now if I were to summarize all that, <clears throat> uh, it summarizes, those who have fellowship with God and the church 
okay? Fellowship, remember last week I was talking about koinonia. Uh, those who have fellowship with God and the church have and speak the truth and live in light and act with love. I'm sorry, the uh, font went out a little bit there. They live in light and they act with love. Why do we need to know this? Well, in a way, almost all of us are shepherds in some form or other. You might think, I'm not a leader. <clears throat> and maybe that might be true. But you realize that whenever the Bible refers to leadership, it doesn't use the term leader. It either uses the term king or shepherd. David says of God himself, the Lord is my shepherd. David was known to be a shepherd. Every example that we have about leadership is given in the imagery of a shepherd. Now, what is a shepherd? A shepherd has sheep. Uh, the shepherd takes care of the sheep. One friend used to be quite funny with me. He said, the shepherd also eats the sheep. <laughs> but you notice every time the Bible says this, the sheep were purchased by the blood of Christ. So we are under-shepherds of Christ. They are His sheep. People who are under-shepherds, they have no right to the sheep other than the fact that their job is to take care of the sheep. So here's the thing. If you're a parent and you have children, you're a shepherd to the sheep. If you are a boss and you are caring for your workers, you are their shepherd. If you are the class monitor, or if you're the one who's in charge of a particular thing, you know, sweep the floor, bring a few people together and sweep the floor. You're, that's your role. You're shepherding this. And the role of the shepherd is to guard from the wolves. And the major weapon of the wolves in the Bible has always been lies. So as a shepherd, your chief weapon and your chief defense is truth. Now, let me add to this uh, truth that, that John says. Uh, <clears throat> John says, God is light, God is love, God is truth. Another one which he has also mentioned before was this, God is life. And so several of these things that we see, which I mentioned also last week, we will see it from the fruit of a person whether he is living the truth. If he lives in the light, if he lives in love and he's a person of the truth. This is quite scary for some people, especially for parents. You know, children will come to me and they say, <clears throat> yeah, my dad is like that outside. Uh, but you see him at home, he's a totally different kind of person. Hi, Reuben. <laughs> so, have you ever encountered sometimes when you have uh, friends, you know, I used to have a friend who came to me and he said, I work in this company, the boss is Christian, he attends this rather big church, he's an elder in the church, speaks in tongues, does all this charismatic thing, does all the prophecy, but I don't think he's a Christian. Because when he comes into the office, he's swearing at everybody, every foul letter word, the kind of things he does very underhanded, very corrupt practices. We cannot see that reconciliation. That's what it, mean, what it means to be, in a way, a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
That's what it means when you ask the question, can we use the truth to always discern what a person or who a person really is? So, <clears throat> how do we discern the truth? What is the truth uh, that is trying to be addressed with here? John is very helpful. John writes this, and every time when you say, when you want to know what is the truth, he prefixes his statement with this word, this is how we know. This is how we will know the truth. Uh, one is the Christological test in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, it reads, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 2, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Now, why do we, what do we call this test? We call it the Christological test. The Christological test basically says, who is Christ? Is Christ spirit or man or something totally other? John, in this particular instance, is dealing with an issue where he says, uh, where the people were arguing that Jesus was not a man. He just appeared to be a man. He was a spirit that came on to him in power and after some time, he left. Because their understanding is flesh is unclean, sinful. Now we affirm that Christ is fully God, fully man. Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the man. Christ the Son of God. So one of the things that you will sometimes find is people come to you and say, well, Jesus isn't really God. <clears throat> uh, in fact, in one particularly large Christian, so-called Christian group, they say Jesus is like one of the great archangels. You would have encountered them at different points in time. Have they come knocking at your door? You find them as uh, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, different groups of people who argue about the divinity of Christ. So two things, right? The Christological test, what John is saying is that Jesus is there with God right from the beginning and He is God. That which we have, uh, that which we have seen, heard, touched, looked at, has now become flesh. So the Christological test tells us that anything that says that Jesus is not God or that Jesus is not man, that's a lie. That would be the first test, that He is Christ, He is Son of God, co-eternal with God, and He is also in, came in the flesh, in the human body. Second test is the moral test. And 1 John 3.10 says, this is how we know Again, John says, uh, this is how we know the truth, who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. 
Now, one of the big distinctives of uh, self-discernment in yourself, right, <clears throat> if you want to know whether the truth really lies in you, is you ask yourself, do I wish that my brother succeeds? And when I say brother, it means your neighbour. Do I wish for my neighbour to succeed? Do I want to wish them well? And one of the things that I had to struggle with when I was bringing up my own children was that in every school that they went to, being better means everybody is lesser. And so the fastest way to be better is to make sure that those beneath them don't succeed. <laughs> you want the answer? Go find out yourself. Lah. You want to know something? I'm not going to help you. After you take over my place. And it extrapolates itself into the business world. Because in the business world, if I'm going to be the best paid, the highest one, the biggest sales manager, then my sales has to be higher than others. How do I get it higher? One way is to suppress your sales or to make sure that you don't close the deal in order for me to get higher. But the true test of one who is living in truth is when I desire for you to do well. Now, can you imagine a situation where this occurs, where someone says, I want you to do well, and when a person really begins to believe that you mean well for them, they also do well for you, such that the overall sales now goes up, not because one is trying to maintain higher, but everybody else's is going up. It might seem like a fantasy, but in the kingdom of God, that's supposed to be the economy. So the moral test, the moral test is that a person does good, and not only does good, he does good to those who are evil to him. He does good to those who wishes bad for them. What is the third test? And John says this is a spiritual test. <clears throat> 1 John 3.14 and verse 24. 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And 24 says, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So, <clears throat> friends, as a shepherd, uh, one of the things that we are always applying is these three tests. How do I know whether Pastor Ronald is pulling the wool over my eyes and bluffing me and being a wolf and is just exploiting us in our vulnerability? You check whether when I preach, do I preach Christ as He truly is, fully God, fully man. You check my life, the morality test. Do I live a life that is consistent with what I teach? In which case, then the truth is with me. And within your spirit, do you feel a resonance? That what he's saying is with authority, with Scripture. Some of you, I think, might know what it means. They come and they listen to a preacher preach and they leave a little bit troubled. <laughs> It says, something seems to be not right. My spirit seems to be a little disturbed by this. I don't know what it is yet, but I think I need to check it. But there are others on the other hand, your spirit resonates with them. 
And it's from the scripture. They're not telling you some story that they concoct. It is something which the scripture that they have used comes across as true. You read the scripture and it says, yes, I agree and affirm this is what God is saying. We know it from the three. So, how do we then discern the truth? Let me summarize this as this. <clears throat> three things. Right belief. Believe in the right thing. Know what you need to know, the truth. Which is why as a church, we're going through the scriptures. Which is why as brothers and sisters, I encourage you to be familiar with the word of God. We are all looking for revelations of God through signs and miracles. But God has revealed himself in the Son through the scriptures 2,000 years ago. The greatest revelation we need. So know that, read that, learn that. Secondly, <clears throat> godly obedience. Godly obedience. Again, the references are there. Go and read this. Thirdly, <clears throat> agape love. The person that comes with a love that is a love for enemies, a love for others, a love that doesn't break people up, but a love that discerns from the truth and binds people together, that is one that helps you discern, is this person living out that truth? And all of this has always been discerned through Christ Jesus. What do we understand rightly about Christ? What do we understand rightly about good obedience? Now, Jesus himself says, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. So one of the things that is needed and to be consistent to say that I'm living a Christian life is to be consistent with the commandments. Now, <clears throat> I say this in all honesty because um, even in John's time, and even now, we have a lot of people who uh, go into extreme or what we call hyper-grace. God's grace is so great that no sin cannot be forgiven. That is true. <clears throat> no sin cannot be forgiven. But neither can you continue to live a life that says that I will continue sinning because God's grace will keep on forgiving me. That is not consistent with what John is saying here. That if you want to really say that you are really living this life, there needs to be seen this outward transformation that is occurring in this life. Now, how do we go forward from here? <clears throat> this is really where I want to bring home uh, the point of where we are at. All of us are called to be shepherds, as I mentioned earlier at some point. <clears throat> you're shepherds of your household. You're shepherds of the things that are required uh, for you to be able to care for the people under your charge. Even for those people who don't think they're very great, I think sometimes you, you think too little of yourself. Uh, I have seen some parents assign responsibility to their children to care for the younger ones. So for that period of time, they are shepherds. And as shepherds, we are called to defend from the wolves. As I mentioned, the wolves are lies that come. Recently, I had to deal with some of these uh, issues from a practical point of view. Let me give you an example of this. Should we practice censorship? 
Should we practice censorship in a home as to what you watch, what you see? If you're a school and you are teaching, uh, do you practice censorship? Or do you expose people and say, you know, whoa, they need to be exposed to all things, so might as well let them read or let them watch whatever they want to watch. My answer to this is, learn from what John is saying. If you are a shepherd and you know that these wolves are coming, you're going to have to deal with the wolf. But in order for you to deal with the wolf, you must know what is true. Your sheep won't know any better. They will be savaged even that before that comes. And so it's a great responsibility sometimes for parents when we ask, okay, when, at which point do I talk about BGR relationships? At which point do I bring and introduce suffering as a reality of life? At which point do I bring the way people are living now? I actually worry sometimes because I'm being given information. You know, even, at the, uh, even nationally now, we notice that at joint boards or board of youth work or even across the surveys, some children as early as 8, 9, 10 years old are experimenting sexually with other kids. How did they come across that? Uh, because their parents decided to give their children free access to whatever they wanted to watch. And children were left to do their own thing. How do we deal with this? Or in a work environment where people begin to say, oh, well, we're all adults. There is no need to practice this form of censorship. Or there's no need to define what is true. What is true for you is true for you. What is true for me is true for me. In fact, if you read in our modern literature now, many people go and say that this is a world of post-truth. Truth is relative. It is not absolute. Well, John doesn't make that kind of a statement. He doesn't say that truth is relative. He makes very absolute statements. He says, this is what we know. This is the message that we receive. This is the guideline. Recently, a few friends of mine were joking with each other. They said, you know, Chinese New Year, there's one truth that we are avoiding. We avoid the truth of sitting on the weighing scale. <laughs> to see how much weight we have gained in these last few days. But I sometimes think that we are also in that same category. There are truths that are available through the Scriptures which we kind of want to avoid. Because when we see that truth, we, we reflect on it on ourselves and say, man, I'm on the overweight side of sin. And I've veered towards the wrong side. And I'd rather not know. But then that's introducing yourself and your family to these wolves that are coming in that will slowly chew off bits and pieces of you. And you'll keep wondering, what's wrong? Why am I losing stuff? Why are my children going off in this direction? So discern what is being claimed as truth. And it is hard work, I tell you. Hard work. Part of me sometimes sit down and having to sit down with my kids and say, what are you watching? What are you reading? One of the things that many of our kids are reading nowadays are writers who target young teenage lives. 
They talk about suicide, they talk about depression, they talk about LBGT, they talk about sexual relationships at the age of 12, 13, 14. And the children are swallowing it lock, stock, barrel and thinking, well, this seems to be the norm in the world. Lies of the world, the truth of our world. And so how do we discern what is being claimed as truth? And at which point do we begin to tell them, look, that's a wolf. That's how you recognize a wolf. You do that by first teaching them the truth. Enough of a grounding in truth. But I urge you as uh, shepherds in your own right, in your own way, would you be also a good shepherd of the truth that has been given to you and not avoid the truth by not knowing the word, not being in relationship with Christ. Lastly, this going forward, be faithful in and work together for the truth. Being faithful in and working together, this is what John uh, 3 John was talking about. Gaius was working together with others and John was commending him through hospitality, by his faithfulness to the truth, by his expression of love. One of the things that I noticed that, uh, that Gaius is credited off or is being exhorted to do, he says, in verse uh, 6, and let me, let me read it from verse 5 first. Dear friend, Gaius, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. Now what John is essentially doing is he's commending these guys for the hospitality. Guys, thank you for showing hospitality to these strangers, people you don't even know. But you have discerned that they speak the truth of Christ, that they are morally upright people and that they are people of love. Thank you for providing hospitality. But he's also telling him, send them off in a manner that honours God. Back in those times, they didn't have hotels. They didn't have rest houses. Hospitality came from the home of the churches, small house churches. And so to provide for a person so that where they go on means that you provide for them not just for their stay, but enough for them to arrive at their next destination with room to spare. How many of us as people against our culture deal with the truth of generosity, hospitality and encouragement? That when we give people, we not just give them enough for their current time with you, but you give them enough to support them for where they go forward. I ask you this in terms of the things that we do as part of social concerns, as part of what we do with mission work, as part we do of how we encourage other people in the ministry of what they are doing for God. I pray that this truth will sink deep in you, that this life, that this light, and that this truth will stir you. Let us pray.